hate you both. I've hated you ever since I can remember. I hate you, and I wish you both had cancer. Cancer? Yes, in the head. Somebody's got a case of the Mondays. <laughs> November 18th, and welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show, the voice of young adult cancer. I am your co-host, Matthew Zachary, and I am a proud 17-year young adult survivor of brain cancer. I'm Kenny Kane, co-founder of Stupid Cancer, welcoming all of our first-time and returning listeners on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, iHeartRadio Talk, or listening to the archives at stupidcancershow.org. Okay, it is not okay. That's okay. 72,000 young adults are diagnosed with cancer each and every year, so... Got cancer under 40? Sucks, huh? Time to get busy living, folks, because the Stupid Cancer Show is changing the world one chemo infusion at a time. Tonight's show, holistic health in the real world. Everything you eat will kill you. True or false? Is coffee good? Eggs are bad. What is going on? Let's get down to brass taxes on the issue of holistic health in the real world. Join us as we welcome Meg Harrison, Executive Director of Cook for Your Life, Susan Bratton, Founder and CEO of Meals to Heal, and Survivor Health Coach Francesca Geisman, Founder of the Nourishing Seed, to tackle this very issue. Emily Lingenfelser in the Survivor Spotlight. And Maureen on the couch tonight is uh, live tweeting the show from the hashtag... SC Radio. Radio. And she is on there at, at Chemodeck. At Chemodeck. All righty. We have an echo tonight. Yeah, we do. I don't know what's happening. Is your uh, dashboard thing muted? I don't know. Yeah, it is. I don't know what's going on here. But, hey, whatever. I feel like I'm playing uh, Marco Polo or I, something. I don't know. Yeah. All right. Let's, uh, let's do a bunch of things here with that. How's this? I think our echo's gone. I think it's gone as well. Well, let's hear it. Oh, well. Good evening. How are you? Hi, Kenny. <laughs> the echo has since the, left. The ghosts of Christmas past are coming to haunt us on Thanksgiving. It is. It's yeah. Francesca's fault. It is Francesca's fault. Hashtag Francesca. Yes. Yes. That's We're going to speak in Justin Tim- Hashtag Justin Timberlake SNL. <laughs> hashtag SNL. Yes. What's going on? Uh, you tell me. What? Uh, I'm looking at your, your list here. Happy wedding anniversary. Yeah, I celebrated my eighth wedding anniversary last year week, and Justin and I actually had an evening without children for all of two hours, but we'll take it where we can get it. That's where I would play oh. some, some Barry White music <laughs> if I had access to the sound, exactly. which I don't. Exactly. Uh, we want to talk briefly about Instapeer, which is on its, uh, tomorrow's the last day or tomorrow's two days? Uh, that's a good question. We have a day zero. It sounds kind of like the Oh, there is the a day world. zero. Yeah, so there's currently one day to go, so I think we actually have about 44 hours in three minutes. Okay. To try the clock to is ticking. Approximate. Right. Yeah. I think it's important to mention that if we don't meet our goal, uh, we still get to keep the money we raised. We do. Because we use a very special platform, unlike Kickstarter, which is if you don't reach your goal, you don't get your money. Uh, we chose to work with a brand new platform that lets nonprofits keep the money they raise and put it in a coffer to raise money again someday for a different campaign. Indeed. Which is good stuff. So we will uh, continue fighting the good fight and get a... Uh, uh, version one of Instapeer out hopefully uh, 
In the spring. Hopefully in the spring. That is true. According to plan. I want to give a shout out to my dad who is not able to listen to the show tonight because he's under uh, heavy sedation at uh, Columbia Presbyterian. He went in for a uh, um, an angiogram and had angioplasty today, which is always you know a little scary. But he pulled through and he's a master of his own domain. So he will uh, hopefully still be around. He had angioplasty 15 years ago. So uh, it, it, you know the engine needs to tune up every now and then. So they put him up on the lift. Gave it, changed the belts and hoses, I suppose, oil change. You guys are very thematic. <laughs> because what, what's his quote? His quote is, uh, if you get old enough, you see everything and get everything. I Which thought was, it was something about looking under the hood. Oh, that's his other quote. The other quote is, um, <laughs> the secret to life is to clean up nice, make it look good, and never look under the hood. So... Which is, which I live by every single day. And unfortunately, when we travel together, I get a, a glimpse under the hood sometimes. <laughs> oh, Kenny. Kenny. <laughs> well, that's our story. Whenever we check into a hotel and they say two, uh, two, queen, two doubles, they say, really? <laughs> yes, exactly. All right, moving on. Well, we're out of stuff to talk about. We are, except uh, OMG 2014. Well, Allie Ward is in the house tonight. Uh, she's not near a microphone. This but, would be a uh, great time for her to be near a microphone. You wanna, you, do you want to come near a microphone? Yeah, just switch, just switch out your headphones. It's radio. No one sees what's going on. Stupid. <laughs> well, a lot of stuff going on. Hello, hello. Can you hear me? Hi, Allie. Hello. Welcome to New York. Thank you. So what's the, the latest on OMG 2014? So something like 156 or 157 days, we will all be converging on Las Vegas, 500 young adults, caregivers, advocates, and some health professionals for three awesome days. Um, what more can I say? Uh, the website is omg dot org. You work for me, right? I do. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. Anyway, maybe not tomorrow. Yes. And uh, also joining us live in studio here is one of our former interns, Susie Castelline, live from the couch on the radio. She's waving. She's waving on the radio. We love when our prodigal children come to return to the roost. Where uh, we hope we uh, gave them a little bump in their careers and they learned a little bit of. Something, 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 which I hope you did. Something and, else. Uh, uh, and also uh, joining us in the studio tonight are one of our latest new board members, Ms. Thea Lynn Scott. Hello, Thea. Do you want to say hello? hello? She's also, right, waving, she's from also waving from the radio. But Thea also coming on to the camera. Hi, everybody. The radio camera. Yes. <laughs> the radio camera is recording all. Welcome to the show. Hi. How's Your first doing? appearance as a board member. My first appearance as a board member. A proud board member yes. of this organization. Yes. What's going on? What's going on? Well, you guys talked about Instapeer, top of mind in our last two days of ending isolation of all of us survivors, and also lots of good things coming for the new year. So yeah. I know a lot of people are rounding down, but we're rounding up yes. here in Stupid Cancer World. Wonderful. Well, we got a full house on Anne Marine from the couch, live tweeting at Chemodeck, hashtag SE Radio. And that's it, Ryan. Full compliment here in the radio studio without any air conditioning. Yeah, it's going to be about <laughs> 130 degrees. Yeah, in about 130 minutes. degrees. Well, uh, our, anyway, our our um, our spotlight dialed in a little early, so uh, let's uh, let's start the show, shall we? Alrighty, and here we go. Emily Lingenfelser, and she'll correct me if I'm saying that wrong, is a 23-year-old single mother who was diagnosed with papillary thyroid carcinoma just weeks after graduating from college. She is a three-and-a-half-week post-op from a total thyroidectomy and currently awaiting radiation treatment. Please welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show, Emily Lingenfelser. Emily. Hi. Hi. Thanks for calling in. And you are saying my name correctly. Wow, I get some kind of prize here. Well, most people know my last name is actually Greenswig, so anyone that actually pronounces my name right gets a gets a gets a cookie. Yeah, that's how it should be for my name too. It's kind of long and confusing. Is that German? Yeah, it's German. So where are you calling in from? I'm from Leavenworth, Kansas, actually. Kansas in the house, represent. Very nice. little Midwest going on? Yep. So tell us your story. 23, papillary, papillary thyroid carcinoma, not good stuff. What was, your, uh, what was your life like prior to? Well, I just um, 
the few months leading up to my diagnosis, I just was not feeling good. I had strep throat, couldn't get rid of it. They gave me probably like six rounds of antibiotics. I got, you know, penicillin shots, and they tried every antibiotic. I couldn't get rid of strep. I was sick and tired and just didn't really feel like myself. And so I'd go to doctors, and they would just kind of brush it off and kind of thought I was a little bit um, naggy. I went to the doctor probably weekly, and they're just like, you know, you're fine. They checked my thyroid levels. My, they were fine. I went to a specialist. He looked at my thyroid. It was fine. And then, like, two months later, after I kept nagging at them, they finally decided to do an ultrasound, which led to a biopsy, which my doctor had said, you know, they weren't worried. They didn't think it was going to be anything, um, you know, 2% chance. And then I got the call, you know, that it was cancer, and it was like, I had kind of known all along, but nobody had really been listening to me. <laughs> so it's in. Do you find that you have you always been like an inherently proactive person, or were you just fed up enough to keep demanding answers that you weren't happy with? Well, honestly, like I'm not the type of person who goes to the doctor a lot. Um. So it really was kind of odd for me to, like, be so persistent and keep going to the doctor. But, you know, I just, I didn't feel like myself. I didn't really feel like everything was right. And it's really hard to explain. It just, it didn't feel like I had felt before. I just felt really different. And, you know, nobody was giving me any answers. And, you know, when you're sick and not feeling well, and I was trying to get through college and, you know, dealing with my son, and it was, like, really crazy, and I was feeling horrible, and nothing, nobody was interested in doing something. So, really, I had to be proactive myself, or else, you know, nothing would have been accomplished. So, when did the actual shoe drop? When were you actually diagnosed? It was August 29th. Of this year? I got the phone call. Wow. Yes, of this year. So, um, yeah, I remember the day, remember the call. It was, you know, something that you never really forget. It was a shock, even though I knew, you know, something wasn't right, but it was still really shocking. Did you, um, well, where were you, were you treated in Kansas locally? Yes. Um, I actually had a really rough time finding um, people. I kind of took my time. You know, they said it wasn't, you know, like a rush situation as it is with other cancers. Um, so I really took my time in trying to find the best. Um, people, I really, you know, did a lot of research and, um, you know, took it upon myself to kind of make sure that I was getting the best care because um, I found that a lot of doctors really didn't talk to me or, you know, really try to guide me through it. Um, and I had a lot of bad experiences with different doctors around the Kansas City area. Um just not really um, understanding, like, the cancer. Like, I knew more stuff about it than they did, and so it was kind of um, disheartening, too. Emily, did <laughs> um, you... Sorry. I called one of my surgeons. No, go ahead. Oh, I had called one of my uh, surgeons to ask if they... Um, if he was capable of performing, like, the minimally invasive thyroidectomy. And his nurse <laughs> called me back. And um, I guess she didn't look at my chart or something because she just was, like, rambling on about how, you know, they weren't going to take my whole thyroid out, how they would just take, 
you know, part of it and see if there was cancer present. And I'm like, they already diagnosed me with cancer. They already found cancerous cells in the thyroid. (laughs) And she was just like, oh. And she, you know, didn't realize that I had already been diagnosed. And she had never even heard of the minimally invasive procedure. And acted like it didn't even exist. So that was one of my experiences. Emily, why don't you tell us a little bit about your experiences? Uh, you know, you're newly diagnosed as a young adult. You log on to the Internet like everyone else does. What, what did you find when you uh, started your, your Googling? There was so much information, and it seemed like a lot of it was kind of contradicting. Like you had, um, you know, people have different experiences. So when you get different people, um, they kind of give different inputs. Um, but I found it really, really amazing. I don't know how people um, dealt with this kind of stuff before the Internet because it was really comforting to me. Um, I'm kind of a real big nerd, so I wanted to know everything. So I basically just read everything so I knew, you know, what what was going on and I wanted to just be really, really informed, and it was really, you know, great to have the Internet. How did you find stupid cancer? Um, well, it's really funny because, you know, I had been spending probably like the week after my diagnosis, I had been, you know, just browsing the Internet a lot and looking for resources and, you know, looking at people's stories and stuff, and I'd been telling my mom, because I was still kind of in shock, and I was really mad at first, and so what I kept telling everybody um, when they said something, I would be like, I think cancer is stupid, and that, you know, that was my thing, I'm like, it's just, it's stupid, like, I don't think it's sad, or, you know, I'm like, it's stupid and annoying, and so I was Googling um, stuff, and I found stupid cancer, and I thought it was just hilarious because that's what I had been saying, (laughs) cancer was stupid. So then I looked at it, and I'm like, wow, this is really awesome, and I didn't even realize that such a thing existed for young adults. Well, you you may know that I I was diagnosed with brain cancer in college when I was 21, around your age. Um, I think something Mm -hmm. that's quite exceptional about your story is you are a single mother, and I'd like you to talk about your experience with your child and how that has played out uh, through this process. And, and has the medical community been of any support to you as a single mom? Um, I think, thankfully, you know, I have my parents to help me. I couldn't imagine um, if a single mom, you know, was diagnosed and didn't live near family or um, had that type of situation. But I was really lucky to have both my parents live very close um, and be able to help. Um, It's been pretty difficult um, with my son. He just, he's five, so he had just started kindergarten. Um, It was about a week and a half. Um into kindergarten when I was diagnosed. So that kind of made it a little more difficult um, because it was with my recovery from surgery um, three and a half weeks ago. You know, I couldn't drive. I really couldn't do much. I had had a tonsillectomy with my thyroidectomy, so I was, like, doubly in pain. Um. So that was really hard, but it was also just really hard to kind of explain to him, you know, because he could sense that something wasn't right, that I was sick. and um, So that was really hard, but I'm just really thankful that I had my family to support me because otherwise, you know, I don't know how I could have done it whatsoever. So I want, I want to turn the conversation to fertility because, as you know, we're a young adult organization, uh, adolescents, young adults. We're in our fertile years when we're diagnosed. Some of us have not had children yet. Some of us have had children. Some of us may want to have more children. 
were you uh, was that issue discussed with you at any part of uh, your relationship with the with the doctors at the center? See, no, it it was not, um, and that that's something that kind of bothered me. I really looked into it because. You know, I do want to eventually have kids, and when I first found out I had cancer, um, that was one of the hardest things because I wasn't, you know, nobody really told me anything about fertility or, you know, really, you know, talked about that side of it, and I'm just sitting here like, you know, am I going to be able to have more kids? Um, that's something that I want, you know? I and nobody really mentioned it. And how do you feel about that? Um, it just, it, it kind of made me feel like they didn't really understand. But, you know, thankfully there's the Internet, and I looked. Um, I'm also really um, thankful that my cousin actually is, um, also a young cancer survivor of the same cancer. She had uh, papillary thyroid cancer at, I believe, 29. Um, so I was able, you know, to talk to her, and she kind of filled the gaps, um, you know, that the doctors left because she, you know, had been there and been in that situation. So, you know, she was able to... Ad- advise me and tell me things that the doctors, you know, were missing. Wow. That's really incredible. We uh, we happen to notice that you have a, uh, a Players Club page for OMG 2014, and uh, we are, one, looking forward to meet you in person, uh, but two, curious to know uh, what, you're, uh, what you're expecting and maybe what you're uh, hoping to get out of the event and what you're most looking forward to. I'm just really excited to meet, like, other people who have kind of been through the same thing as me. You know, it's kind of um, really isolating because, um, you know, none of my friends or people I know are really going through this. So, you know, they can care and, you know, they can be there and support you, but at the same time, you know, they haven't been there and they don't really understand so it can be you can feel really alone a lot of the time and I'm just really excited to meet people and have a good time you know I really just tried to change my outlook on life after all of this and just do things that's that's just my new motto is just to do things anything I want to do (laughs) Well, we uh, like I said, we look forward to meeting you, and there will most certainly be a couple of young adult survivors in attendance at OMG 2014. So. <laughs> I'm being sarcastic. If by a couple you mean like 450 or 500 people, yeah. Yes. <laughs> and it's Vegas, and it's a great time, and uh, we think that you will enjoy yourself. I know. It's Vegas. Like, you really can't, like, turn that down. I should to go to Vegas. Agreed. Excuse. Agreed. So uh, we, we only have a few minutes left, but I wanted to ask you two specific other questions. One is, now that you're aware of, of stupid cancer in the young adult world, and you mentioned that you have a family uh, history of this perhaps, um, does the, the hospital that you are going back to or having your, your continuing care at, are they aware of young adult cancer, and are there other young adults there, and we should ship you some cool stuff to put there on display, right? Yes. I've been meaning to, like, do that. <laughs> I just haven't gotten around to it. Um, I'm not sure if they're aware of stupid cancer. They really should be. Um, but I have looked. I'm actually, um, they do have some, like, young adult um, support groups here. So... Um, I'm actually going on this Thursday. They have like a happy hour young adults support group um, through the Gilda's Club. But I went through KU Med, and I was going to have them 
ask you guys to send them some stuff because, like I said, my experience was they weren't really prepared for um, a 23-year-old with cancer. I see from you have a profile on a website called Go Mighty where you you are define yourself. Um, we say a young mom trying to find the joy and humor in every single moment. Blogger, photographer, philosopher, teen mother, cancer fighter, all around B A M F. And uh, you're very inspiring. <laughs> my my final question to you is tonight's show. Tonight every show we do is themed. So tonight's show is about um, holistic health and. At any point now or perhaps in the future, do you think or have you been in touch with nutritionists or someone to help guide you on uh, maybe advice on, on what to eat or changing your diet? Or has that been a narrative at all throughout your, your care since August? Um, well, actually, I have. Um, after my surgery, um, I've been thinking about contacting because they do offer uh, a free nutritional nutritionist through the cancer center, and I did, you know, want to find a better, you know, nutrition. Um, you know, I don't know if that necessarily goes in with health, but you know, once once I was diagnosed, I just, you know, I wanted to live as healthy a life as possible. You know, I just kind of saw things in a new way and it's like I felt like I should see a nutritionist and, you know, change that and see if it makes a difference. Well, I encourage you to do that. I'm sure all of our guests, if you if you stay on the line, you can listen to the rest of the show. All of our guests would strongly encourage you to pursue that and they'll have some really great advice for you in the next half hour at the second half of the show. But uh, at the end of the day, you are incredibly inspiring, and I'm excited that you found us. I'm, I'm happy that you can sort of be our, our black ops in Kansas and get spread the word out to your, your center and your friends and your community. We'd love to have you there as our ambassador, and we would all love to meet you in person in Las Vegas in April. So thank you so much for your courage in coming on the show. Best to you, your beautiful child, and your family. Thanks. Thanks for having me. All right. Emily Lingenfelder, everybody. All right, Kay. Let's get up the news here. Right, Hello, um, I'm Kent Brockman, and this is Eye on Cancer. Just the facts, ma'am. Head on over to events.stupidcancer.org, your one-stop shop calendar for all of our social and educational events nationwide. Something could be happening in your neck of the woods. We certainly don't want you missing out. Some meetups coming up in Novi, Minnesota, Fairlawn, New Jersey, and Providence, Rhode Island. Minnesota, huh? Yeah. You going to go? Minnesota, eh? We can go there and do whatever they do in Novi. They shovel snow. Is that what they do? Yeah, I'm just saying that. All right. Did you or do you feel alone and isolated during your cancer treatment? We're going to change that all with Instapeer, a new mobile app that will connect cancer patients to each other safely and anonymously for free on your cell phone or tablet device. You can help Stupid Cancer reach our $50,000 goal in the next 48 hours. 44 and 4 minutes. 44 hours and 4 minutes to bring Instapeer to life by visiting Instapeer. Instapeer.org. Check out our video. Join our army of friends, fans, supporters, and backers. All right, Matthew. Save the date. The 7th Annual OMG Cancer Summit for Young Adults next April at the Palm Casino in Las Vegas. I'm reading this like uh, one of those guys on the radio because I am on the radio. OMG 2014 to join the mailing list and official Facebook group. It's like you're the fine print of a radio I, ad. I am of the Stupid Cancer Show. <laughs> Do not talk the Stupid Cancer Show. <laughs> the Stupid Cancer Show is all new. You're listening to it right now live, broadcasting in stunning HD. We know you can't listen to each show live every time, so be sure to subscribe for free anytime on iHeartRadio Talk, Apple iTunes Podcast, or right here on the Blog Talk Radio Network. Visit stupidcancershow.org anytime to get connected and thank you for listening. We may be in a 90 degree radio studio but the fall season is upon us so it's time to stock up on some new threads like a stupid cancer brand hoodie, hat, gloves and more. Surf on over to the stupidcancerstore.org anytime for great deals on products year round. Be proud, wear stupid cancer and that is your stupid cancer news. Okay. We're such losers. We're hamming it up. <laughs> super ham, super ham, super ham. Alright, we got our Three Musketeers tonight here for the Holistic Health and the Real World Show. I shall read them with speedy expedition. 
Meg Harrison, returning champion, is the executive director of Cook for Your Life, whose mission is to improve the health of people touched by cancer by giving them the practical knowledge, tools, and inspiration to cook their way through their treatment and into a healthy survivorship. Francesca Geisman is a young adult survivor of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, a certified holistic health coach, a founding member of Team Stupid Cancer, and the founder of The Nourishing Seed, whose mission is to educate and support clients to take an active role in their health. And returning champion Susan Bratton is the founder and CEO of Meals to Heal, a provider of fresh home-delivered meals and nutritional resources for cancer patients and their caregivers. Ladies, Meg Harrison, Francesca Geisman, Susan Bratton. Hello. 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 Welcome. Welcome to be live in our heat box. Thank you. Yes. All right, so let's kick it off with you heard our Survivor Spotlight. You heard us talking about, mm-hmm. and did anyone mention, what are you eating? And I, I just go back to, I, I go back to actually Chris Carr for whatever mm-hmm. that, that's worth. I have a lot of respect for her choices. But she made a very bold statement when, when was the last time a doctor asked you, what are you eating? Mm-hmm. And I guess I don't. You, it's a free for all tonight, so you can all take that question. But how did you get into this business? How does it make you feel that the needle is changing a little bit in your direction, mm-hmm. to the advantage of everybody? And how does one actually practically take care of stuff that we have no time to do, can't afford to have? are too busy changing diapers and dealing with our jobs. And are, tonight's about the practicality, pragmatism, and that the cure isn't kale. Okay? What? Beyond kale. Beyond no. kale. Life beyond <laughs> kale. All right, I, Meg, I, let's start with I Meg. I don't believe it. <laughs> okay, that, those were a lot of questions all together. Answer so them we'll all at once all in together, one word. All together. <laughs> kale. No. <laughs> <laughs> kidding. I came from uh, a program this morning that was all about kale so i'll try to dial it back a little bit. i heard it's the year of kale it is yeah. the year of kale i thought it was the, the year, year of quinoa well that was, that last, was last year okay year. okay <laughs> next year keep up keep up keep next up. year's red onion actually there's a broccoli great, yeah broccoli Broccoli's there was just, back. An, just yeah. an article how broccoli is yeah. challenging kale over. in the sphere yeah for sure but I think, you know, the Emily's story is like so many of the stories that we hear. And I think when you get diagnosed with cancer, and fortunately I haven't been diagnosed myself, but I've worked in this sphere for a very long time, and I hear the same story over and over again. You're overwhelmed when that diagnosis comes through the phone or in person. And so your mind just goes to, okay, well, what do I need to do to keep myself alive? And often things like fertility and nutrition and all the other pieces of you as a person kind of fall away and you just think about the cancer. And so what I think all three of us and many, many other people in the world are trying to do is help people think about their whole person and don't give that up. And food and nutrition and taking care of that whole person still is important even when you're trying to battle cancer, even though it feels like it takes over your whole life. Francesca, you might want to... Yeah, especially, you know, for myself, as a, when I was undergoing chemo, I had my mom here, who's an incredible cook, and she would cook my meals because she really would look at the food in the hospital and say, you cannot eat this. You know, you cannot eat a glow-in-the-dark jello and heal. And uh, I think that, for me, you know, just set the stage of what I wanted to do after, you know, when I recovered. But I had so many, so many... Um, issues from chemo that I had to deal with, that it really took time for me to connect the whole body, the whole body, mind, and soul connection. And I like what um, Emily said, and you know, I, had a, I had a young child, I had a three-year-old when um, I was diagnosed, and now he's almost 10, and um, I want to live my best life. And my best life, we don't know when we're going to go, but whatever I have left and whatever I think everyone that survives from cancer, there's this mix I want to live my life, but I want to live well, and I want to, you know, in, enjoy. But I think you need to participate in your health and participate in your healing, and you have the permission to take care of yourself. And whether is it by meeting with a nutritionist or whether is it by, you know, finding all the great websites that those ladies have or working with a health coach, a nutritionist, a dietitian, to participate in your health. And it's a very empowering feeling that you just want to, you know, you're part of it. It's not just the chemo, it's just not the pill. You're part of your he- healing. Mm-hmm. Susan? Um, well, so the light bulb that went off for me was, was kind of a Chris Carr sort of a moment where a very dear friend of mine had a brain tumor, 
And his doctors actually told him, eat whatever you want. Mm -hmm. And that just kind of defies uh, the evidence, which is, re which is really quite strong, that, that um, proper nutrition improves clinical and quality of life outcomes. There's no, there's no magic bullet. This is not to say that nutrition will mm -hmm. cure your cancer, but it will absolutely strengthen you for your, for your battle. And so I think uh, it's really important that patients and caregivers understand that this, is, this should go hand in glove with chemotherapy, radiation, and surgery. You should think about your nutrition just like you think about a attending your chemo appointments. Think about eating right, getting the right calories, the right balance of macro and micronutrients, and working with a dietitian to help customize the diet for the specific side effects that you probably will be experiencing. I go back to OMG 2011 when Meg, mm -hmm. Meg was there, Kenny was there, yep. and we had a, a very feisty social worker stand up and say that if my patient is vomiting and miserable and they want ice cream, I'm going to give them ice cream. Is that a realistic line of thinking in therapy, or is that, any, is that wrong or is that right? Or is it individualized? So there's a balance here because, because you, you certainly want to prevent weight loss, but there's an alternative here. You could make a really great smoothie that has lots of berries and yogurt, and it's almost like ice cream, but it provides a lot more nutrients. So, and, and that's one of the things that we always talk to people about is customization. You, know, you, can, you can customize it to your specific needs and still meet the nutritional objectives. So I would say... You know, avoid the ice cream if you can, and let's customize it and, and be flexible. And I think, you know, Susan's organization, Meals to Heal, is fantastic because they do that for you. And so we recognize at Cook for Your Life that even though we advocate for cooking for yourself, sometimes you just can't do it. Either you're too fatigued or the smells from cooking are nauseating to you. So Susan's organization will bring, will customize that for you and have them delivered right to your door so you don't have to think about that. But when you're ready... Um, and you're ready to take that step and get back in the kitchen, then Cook for Your Life wants to be there for you. And I think one of the greatest things about our website is you can search based on the side effects you're having. So if you're having a lot of nausea or you're having mouth sores, you can pull up recipes that are going to be easier to digest or easier to swallow. And all of the recipes are very easy to make. They're designed for people who may be tired. So our founder, Ann Ogden Gaffney, went through two bouts of cancer herself, so she really understands it. And all the recipes are designed to be simple and nourishing and comforting to people. Now, Francesca, you were, were you a relatively nutritious person prior to your diagnosis? I was. I think I didn't fully understand some of the chemical, some of what some reactions of some food would have on me, um, as much as I understand now after, you know, studying and and now working in this field. But um, looking back, once I started studying, I would look back at my treatment and, um, you know, having non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, and I had a, a difficult treatment, and I had, a, you know, a lot of blood transfusions and really a lot of complications. And I remember clearly when, when I was eating well what my mom, you know, who was incredible, would make, you know, beets because she really would believe that beets helped you produce your blood, you know, produce more uh, red, you know, platelets. And so that fed my body. And the year that followed, we all know survivors that the year that followed is just as hard, if not harder than treatment itself. When that left my life, because I really struggled with so many things after, I went into a much deeper hole. And when I began taking that back, taking that nutrition back, taking that lifestyle changes back, it was really when I began the healing uh, it was after that. Did you find that moving from New York to Southern California kind of made it a little easier? Actually, um, no. Because so we have cronuts here. I don't think yeah. cronuts have reached you yet. No, Although it we, has. We, we it did has. have them in Irvine. Yeah. We oh, have, that's right. You know what? You're we screwed. We have them all over. You know, Orange <laughs> County, is, uh, it has fast food everywhere. I think it does start at home. And I think uh, a lot of people believe that to eat healthy, you need to go to your kitchen and spend four hours cooking, you know, three-course meals. And there's small practical things that you can do that are not so expensive. And, you know, we talk how everyone talks how expensive it is to, you know, to eat healthy, but everyone's walking around with an iPhone 5 that costs $700. And right. it's like, you know, try to invest in yourself a little bit. But uh, there are small things, you know, there and you know, one of my first rule is eat real food. And what does that mean? You know, it's food that it's in its whole. It's food that hasn't been processed. It hasn't been, 
you know, colored and full of colorants and, and chemicals. And that's easy. You know, you grab an apple, you grab a banana, you grab, you know, water. Um, it is, you can make small lifestyle changes. And it's not just food. It's also, you know, sleep, stress, uh, relationships, toxic relationships. There's a bunch of things that you also feed your body, just not the food that you put in your mouth. So... So, all right, so to Meg and to Susan, um, what has been like the adoption in the cancer center world, the hospital world, the clinical world of nutrition on premises or awareness of nutritive, you know, the value of, of nutrition through any disease? Has there been a growth factor in the industry from that? And then what, what is your role in that? So there, there are two things. One is the Commission on Cancer has now mandated that nutrition has to be a part of um, their accredited clinical programs as of 2014. So that's a huge win for nu- the nutrition, I think. Um, I think there are still going to be access issues, but they're working on that, getting more registered uh, dietitians. So that's point number one. The other thing I was going to say is is we found, we kind of struggled to find who within the institution was going to be adopting it and who's a believer in nutrition. So we found that the nurses are big believers, but they're awfully busy with the clinical things. So while they're believers, they're not really probably going to be pushing for nutrition. Um, social workers and nurse navigators are great sources of referrals for for my business, and I'm guessing probably for Meg's as well. They're really the two groups in, inside of the cancer centers that look at things from a holistic perspective, not just the medical perspective, the clinical perspective. That's been my experience. I don't know, Meg. No, I totally agree with you, and I really liked what, Francesca, you said about giving yourself permission to take care of your whole body. And I think a lot of that change with um, nurses and with social workers comes because patients are demanding it. Mm -hmm. They're going in and asking those questions of their treatment team. And that makes a huge difference because then they have to pay attention to it. Like you just said, Matt, they're really busy, so they may not think to ask you. But if you come in and say, well, here's what I'm thinking about eating or here's what my questions are about my diet, then it brings it to the table. And also, I mean, I think earlier we said about customizing. You know, we are we are individuals, so a lot of my practice is about bioindividuality, which is what works for me doesn't work for Mag and doesn't work for Susan, and it's the same for everyone dealing with cancer of any type of disease. Um, some people might be reacting. So, like what Susan said, a lot of people lose weight, but a lot of people gain a ton right. of weight, you right. know. So there is, uh, you know, it's not just anymore don't feed you know, don't feed, you know, um, ice cream because you don't want a person to lose weight. You also don't want them to finish this treatment. You're already a mess and you're also 30 pounds heavier. It's like, whoa, you know, it's just so much on your plate. And uh, ideally, all these professionals that are working in the hospital are thinking that these people, especially young adults, are going to live in a few months, you know, leave treatment and live a vibrant life with vibrant health and nutrition and lifestyle changes are a big part of it for sure. So here's a, I have a question that I've never asked before, and I'm just curious. No oh boy. Uh, <laughs> not that kind of question. Are there any known contraindications to, like, broccoli and quinoa when you're on chemotherapy? Are there things you shouldn't that you may think are nutritious to have, have but you should avoid under certain circumstances? Yeah. It's such a great question. Yeah, I have a perfect example, and it's a little bit what the tipping point that had me say, I'm going to study this, and I'm going to help people with this, because nine months after chemo, I had a pulmonary embolism, and I was super sick, and it was very scary, and I really almost then, you know, I survived cancer, and I died of a pulmonary embolism, which until today, it's like, was it from chemo, was it whatever, birth control, you know, it doesn't matter, I had it, and um, the months that followed it, it was this horrendous, uh, you know, trial and error of how much Coumadin, how much warfarin, you know, blood thinners I should take. And um, my doses kept on increasing. I would go and check my INR, and it would be like, it's bad again, and you need to increase your dose. And at one point, I was taking a dose as big of a, you know, a horse pill of, of blood thinners, and it can't be possible. I'm 35 years old at the time. Was it soy? Because uh, no. I know soy is a contraindication for warfarin. No, but... I was eating super healthy. I was taking tons of green tea and eating tons of leafy greens. And I, no one, no one, and I was treated in a fantastic hospital that if you listen to this, I love you. But no one ever said, let's dissect what you're eating and what's going on with your life. 
And I, by myself, found that vitamin K, vitamin K right. which is a wonderful vitamin. It's a wonderful nutrient. A lot of us need it, and it's, it's, it's vital for vibrant health. But it was affecting the, what the blood thinners were supposed to do. So I kept drinking green tea and eating kale before kale was fancy, and you know I c- it was n- not working for me. So the whole, you know, there are counter. There are. I have a client who. Hi, Kathy. I have a client who has um, a, pota- a renal issue, a kidney issue, and she cannot have, you know, potassium, high potassium foods. And she was in treatment recently, and we're working. There's so many wonderful foods for you, but they're very high in potassium. So she cannot have a banana as a as a snack. We need to find another snack for her. Right. So, you know, there are plenty of things like that. Which is why I think it's really important to work with a registered dietitian because they know these contraindications. And there's another thing I want to mention that's a great uh, website. It's called the Natural Standard Database. And this is um, has botanicals and supplements in it because a lot of people talk about using botanicals and supplements, but many of them are contraindicated. So, for example, mm-hmm. fish oil is contraindicated for Taxol is a great example. Um, so you can go to the Natural Standard Database. Uh, it's on our website, and um, or you could go to Sloan Kettering's uh, website as well. It's naturalstandard.com slash databases. Mm-hmm. Can I just pull that up for our listeners? Yeah, and right. I think it's, it's this whole idea of um, working with your treatment team, and we have so many patients, they, like you just mentioned, they think that they're doing something really, really healthy, and they may not be. And so just be honest with your treatment team and talk to them about it, but bring it to the table so that they know. I mean, another great example is for patients who are on Velcade, they can't have grapefruit juice. Mm-hmm. So that's yeah. a crazy thing. You think right. that grapefruit juice is great, mm-hmm. um, but not so much if you're on Velcade. Mm-hmm. Kenny? All right, so I have this friend. Mm-hmm. He's not a cancer survivor. Uh, he eats kale and quinoa. Sometimes. He works with some Jew at some <laughs> charity. And uh, I guess he drinks alcohol socially. I may get some uh, eye rolls for that. What, what would you tell me someone, well, uh, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one of the themes that I see a lot is people who are, who are living a, uh, a, a life where they are avoiding cancer. Mm-hmm. How does the average person take steps to lessen their risk if we want to even go down that rabbit hole? We can go down it a little ways because I think, as we mentioned tonight, there's no magic bullet. If yeah. there was, we'd all be doing it. But there's a wonderful organization, the AICR, the American Institute of Cancer Research. And so they they study these kinds of things. And unfortunately, there's there's not all the data that we would like, but there's some really good data coming out that helps us to understand this world a little bit better and the, thing, the easier things that we can do. And some of the things that we know to be true are increase the amounts of fruits and vegetables in your diet, do 30 minutes of exercise a day, and it doesn't have to be all at the same time. You can do 10 minutes here, 10 minutes there, just so it adds up to 30 minutes. Um, you can eat red meat, but do so less, or yeah, do so less. What am I trying to say? Sparingly, in, in moderation. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Words. The brain mm, freeze. Words. Yes. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. So these are the kinds of things. And there's a really wonderful book called The Anti-Cancer Diet. Mm-hmm. And what he talks about, too, is this idea of... That's David David Sherbin. Sherbin Schreiber. Yes. 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 Who also had a brain, brain cancer. tumor, as you know. Yes. He um, away, yeah. He did pass away, but after 16 years. Yes. So... Um, and he changed his diet, but he was saying, I love this part in the book where he says, you know, doing research on food is tough because I can't feed you all broccoli and me all cauliflower and see what happens. Our DNA is different. We're different people and we don't know. But we do know a few things that are good for us. And why don't not do those now? We can or why wait for the research 20 years down the line that's going to tell us that we are doing the right thing? Use what we know now. Yeah. I think to add to Mac, I would add sleep. I think sleep is highly under, you know, people don't sleep. Mm-hmm. There's so often people, I meet with people and they're like, yeah, I sleep four or five hours a night. That's not enough. You know, that's really not enough. We spend so many, you know, I'm sure Matt spends 
with so much energy trying his children to sleep or his babies to sleep. We don't grow up and don't need sleep. We well, it's need hard to sleep, sleep when they jump on you at 2 in the morning. Yeah, well, so we need, we need minor our, interruptions. We need our sleep, and we can. A lot of people have a hard time sleeping. We can, you know, de-plug, maybe leave our electronics of maybe a half hour before bed so you're not so, you know, round up. I also, to add to the food, you know, eat real food, you know, as on its natural way. Know the source of your food. I think that's a very important piece. And, um, you know, there's the clean, you know, the, the clean dozen, the dirty or the dirty, dirty dozen, dozen, the clean 15, 15, which is something you can Google. It's really easy to find out, you know, what some of fruits and vegetables that you really want to try to eat organic, like berries, you know, fruits that um, are higher in pesticide. Uh, also, your meats, you know, eat. I am not an advocate not for people to eat meat. I eat meat, but I know the source of my meat, my poultry, my fish. And um, have little, but have it of good quality. Um, so what does Michael Pollan say? Eat, eat food, mostly food, plants. plants. Not too much. Not yeah. too much. Eat food, not too much. much. Mostly, mostly plants. plants. Mm-hmm. All right, I want to talk about probiotics. Mm-hmm. This is like a cottage industry of, of um, charlatanism and facts mm-hmm. at the same time. Mm-hmm. So, And I also, this fascinating story in NPR this morning about how the bacteria in your gut can control mm-hmm. your mind, yeah. mm-hmm. which is astonishing. These well, mice—they take second brain. Yeah, they take the, they take the bacteria from like angry mice and put them in docile mice, and the docile mice get angry, which right. is kind of, and vice versa. It works. Mm-hmm. For, so, what what do you guys have to 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 talk about with regard to probiotics in terms, of especially with chemotherapy and antibiotics mm-hmm. and all these drugs? Is there a factor in there plus what you're eating? Talk about that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think a lot of it, you know, by healing your gut, and I love that so much now it's coming to the little bit more mainstream media where people are talking about inflammation in your gut and, you know, the good and bad enzymes in your gut. So it's very important, something that nobody, or for a while, people didn't talk about it. So I think you need to also know your source of probiotics and not just, mm-hmm. you know, you walk into drain read and like, hey, probiotics, I'm going to drink this. You know, there are so many foods that you can have, fermented food and kefir. I mean, there mm-hmm. is a few things that you can have, natural probiotics. So especially in New York City or in some of the big um, areas, there are so many wonderful health food stores around, health food stores around that you can get. So uh, definitely healing your gut. I experienced it myself when I healed the inflammation in my gut. A lot of other things, you know, my skin, a lot of other things kind of got better. So our our registered dietitians are are big believers in probiotics, Mm -hmm. and they think that they they definitely work. That's point number one. Um, Second point is I think it's important because there are certain cancers like stomach cancer and GI cancer that they believe are caused by a specific bacteria, so um, I think it's really important mm-hmm. that you that you take care of your your GI health. Mm-hmm. Um, that sim- that same article that you heard on HPR or NPR this morning, um, there was also a similar study that looked at rates of obesity and um, intestinal bacteria, and and they took uh, fat mice and took their bacteria and put it in skinny mice and the skinny mice became fat. So there's a that's a whole without myth. a change of diet either. Without a change of diet right. either. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Meg, uh, do you guys uh, in it, so you, the Cook for Your Life helps people learn how to prepare their own foods. Mm-hmm. Is there a nutritive or vitamin supplement or, or other holistic component to that as well? Um, well, I think as Francesca was talking about, everybody is unique, and so we want to advocate that you do the things that are right for you. We, just like you said, um, advocate for whole foods, but recognize that if you do have a deficiency that you may need a supplement. But in general, we like to see your away from that and trying to get all your nutrients out of whole foods. But as we're talking about probiotics, you know, we recognize that sometimes you need that to kind of jumpstart what all the good stuff happening. There was just some research by, um, that was presented by Good Belly, do you know Good Belly Probiotics? Mm-hmm. And it was shown to really help replenish the gut after chemotherapy. So there's been some hard data been published that that's helpful. So is the presumption that the multi, um, the, the the like the daily multivitamin is a myth, and you could actually get all the, yes. all the nutrition you need without having to take one? You shouldn't. Yes. Real I, food. I hate the real word food. should and shouldn't, but I will say, yeah. like we were just talking in our <laughs> workshop this morning, that multivitamins can kill you. But that's, yeah. and, and, all right, well, you can't just leave us dangling on that. Elucidate. <laughs> well, because it's sort of like what happened with Francesca, because of the extra stuff that you're getting. And a lot of the vitamins that are out there are not monitored by the FDA. And so you often don't know how much of what thing is in there, even though they put it on the label. But it's not been tested, absolutely. and it can be really dangerous. 
But we do know when we eat whole foods how much we're getting. So I'm going to advocate for that. Absolutely. And so do I. So I also, I do not take any all-day multivitamins. Right. And I think it was one of, the, I think one of the greatest days after, you know, a year and a half after chemo. It's a day that I looked at my pill box and it was empty. I no longer took a pill. And I was, you know, it was just wonderful. And I was like, I'm not even also going to take a multivitamin. I'm going to eat my vitamins. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, nowadays, although I got to a point of, like, no return from chemo, if a doctor would see my blood work they, and didn't know I had cancer, they would never know I had cancer. So everything came back and everything is great from eating whole foods and eating real food and sleeping. Right. And um, so. I mean, it can feel like an overwhelming thing, though, right? You know, you're... you're say I want to eat better like how do I start doing that and I think there are some really simple things that you can do to get all the nutrients that you need and one of them is just think colorfully so you eat a rainbow of foods every day so it doesn't have to be all at once but if you've had you know eggs and greens for your breakfast then eat some red peppers or oranges for lunch and throw in a banana and eat the whole rainbow and you should be pretty good here's a psychological question are you guys proponents of Stopping something rather than starting something or vice versa. So if you are eating garbage, should you start eating kale and garbage or should you stop or should you just eat less garbage and then maybe um, adopt? I think, I mean, I think anything you can do in the direction of, of adding more healthy yeah, foods. Absolutely. I mean, in a perfect world, I'd like to see everybody move completely over, but let's be realistic. You know, you, you have to meet people where they are. And, and I think about my dad and you know, when he was diagnosed, I, I I had specific ideas for him with respect to diet. Yeah, you're not going to change an 81 year er, 81 year old's diet, but you can you can try to move people in the direction of adding more and more healthy foods. I think that's more realistic. I have a really I, funny story then <laughs> to that point. Mm-hmm. My um my mother's mother, my maternal grandmother, remarried in the 80s, and she married this wonderful man named Harry. He was just he was Harry. He was a human Homer Simpson. He was an amazing guy. Very simple, got a great job, you know, honest living. And then he was like 85, 86, and my dad and I were out to the diner with him. And he orders, you know, bacon and ham and a cheese omelet and hash browns. And my dad looks at him and he says, Harry, that stuff's bad for you. And he goes, it is? And he lived like the 88. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> so so <laughs> the mind's eye is the yeah. perspective of that. Mm-hmm. And you're right, you can't change behavior probably of anyone in that age group. But I, I wanted to open up the floodgates to, um, you know, soil depletion, n- lack of nutrition in actual foods, the uh, potential scams around USD mm-hmm. organic and well, GMOs. Remember what we saw today about Mexico. Right. Mexico, Mexico, okay, has banned GMOs. Mm-hmm. They still have cartels. But yes. Yeah. They you still have cartels okay. and their water will give priorities. you cancer. Priorities. But Mexico has banned GMOs. Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. that's astonishing to me. Mm-hmm. I'll say it again because I'm in disbelief. The country of Mexico where they will kill you in the streets, they will maybe. rip your liver out, yeah, maybe. and the water will give you cancer, yeah, maybe. has maybe. banned Yikes. GMO. The views they of Matthew Zachary do not have... <laughs> yeah. right. They probably don't have the lobbying efforts yeah. that we have in this country. Right. Yeah. That's my guess. Yeah. Because and the only reason why GMOs haven't been banned in this country is because companies um, will, who will go, will, that will go unnamed have very, very strong lobbies behind them. Right. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Right. But the impetus is if you, you have the right to know if your kale is GMO or not, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. even if it isn't, the farm next door to it might have GMO and the seeds blow over. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. So, right. what can people pragmatically do, or you just bite the bullet and say, "Well, it's kale. It's kale." Well, I think that you you're in charge, so you can right. make yeah. better choices. I mean, I we always advocate for eating as local as you possibly can. So, talk to your farmers, figure out how they're farming. You can ask them questions at the market. And the thing about organics is that. You have to pay to be certified for organic. So if you're a small local farm, you may not be able to pay mm-hmm. to get that certification. It doesn't mean that you're using pesticides. It right. just means that you didn't get that certification. Same with gluten-free and some of the other ones. You have to pay to get certified. And so it can be confusing for people. One more thing to be confusing. But um, if you can buy locally, buy in season, all of these things are going to help ensure that you're getting the best quality. But given the choice, I guess, of um, organic or non-organic fruits and vegetables, mm-hmm. I mean, if the option is fruits and vegetables versus something fully processed, I think we would probably all agree 
let's do fruit, fruits and sure. vegetables. In a perfect world, we'd love them to be organic. If they can't all be organic, let's go with the clean 15 mm-hmm. and kind of work in that direction. Yeah, um, and also frozen foods. And frozen, frozen foods, foods are great right. because they're processed right there that day. Sometimes they're even, they have more nutrients than some of the fruit that gets shipped from the other side of the world here in the middle of winter. So yeah, that's, that's a right. really great and economical choice. But I think, Kenny, for your friend. My friend, yeah. <laughs> My friend that, uh, does, that drinks a lot of IPAs. Uh, I'd say your friend, I would have your friend drink a green juice with, your, with his Cronut. Should his boss buy him a juicer? You know, I think you got, his boss could maybe have a juicer in the office, and you guys have a CSA, which is a, com, you know, um, community-supported community ag- agriculture that you can buy a box. And uh, um, you guys can juice here, and maybe everybody can chip in five, ten bucks a week. Yeah, maybe his boss could just give him like a nice little bonus too. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna yeah. go with the res- resveratrol therapy <laughs> for myself. If there that, you go. Yeah, there we go. So can we, on that note, there's just one thing you ask about diet and and cancer risk. There are two things that I think we should leave the audience with, uh, especially young people. And I don't mean to sound like the old grandmother here, but. With eat your peas, eat your peas. Yeah, your with, with respect mm-hmm. to breast cancer, there is very strong evidence that um, drinking uh, it increases your risk of breast cancer in women. So that is just, li- you should limit it to one, um, one drink per day. I know that sounds like uh, I'm being the, the sour old grandmother here, but that's really important. And the other thing is with respect to colon cancer, there's strong research that shows that red meats, uh, high consumption of red meats, is causative with respect to colon cancer. So I think the point that Meg made about moderation with with red meats is really red and processed meats, very, very important. All right, final question for all three of you. The elephant in the room is disparity groups, the Mm -hmm. urban centers. Mm -hmm. What is being done to introduce this philosophy to those communities where it's very difficult to find the the um, food deserts yeah, yeah. but yeah like the whole foods or the yeah. farmers markets what 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 is what efforts are being made to bring education to those communities around these issues well so Meg and I went to this great seminar last February and I think we were both very pleased and blown yeah. away um, by the efforts that are being made in our own city in New York City with respect to addressing the food deserts but I think at the at the um, at a minimum it's got to be public policy. Um, city by city, going in and and um, and mandating um, bringing whole grocery stores into or whole food grocery stores into those areas, and then Meg's group, Cook for Your Life, actually does some work in the community. Mm-hmm. You should talk to them about about that. Yeah, it's great. no, it's exciting, and I think I think that it is swinging. Uh, the pendulum is swinging, and people are recognizing that the availability factor has been a real deterrent for people. There just wasn't. I mean, even I live in Brooklyn, and Park Slope, Park Slope has the farmer's market, but if you go on the other side of the park, they've got nothing. So it's, it seems like a short distance, but it's a world away. And I think that's changing, and the, and the people are demanding it. And so they're asking for things to be brought to them, and now that's what's happening, like Susan's saying, in our city. But also, Cook for Your Life, we really are go out into the community and try to educate people, but we first educate ourselves. We look what's available. We design our menus based on the foods that are available to people um, and then structure our menus based on that, based on affordability and availability and also um, the cultural palate. So we don't, if there's a strong Haitian population, we don't want to come and say, okay, now you have to cook all your foods in the Italian method. That's probably uh, not going to work. Indeed. So we try to keep that in mind as well. All right. Well, why don't we get you to say your website URLs in height order? In height order? They're all looking at each other like what? Who's the tallest? Oh, Francesca's (laughs) the tallest. I think I'm the tallest. So you can find a bunch of information about a healthy living and nutritional lifestyle at thenourishingseed.com and also on Facebook, The Nourishing Seeds. And Instagram. And Instagram and on Twitter and everything else. (laughs) 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 MySpace. I don't know who's taller. I think you might be taller. Am I? Okay. I think might be the shortest. It's an interesting dynamic for a <laughs> seated in-studio guest. We had to think about Yeah, exactly. So my website is meals-2, and it's T-O, not the number 2, 2-heal.com. And we've got a lot of um, great free resources on nutrition. We have a nutrition guide that you can download. It's a PDF. Um, and you can also uh, have access to our oncology dietitians. Well, there you go. And the shortest, 
as cookforyourlife.org. Or is that four or number four? The word for. F-O-R. Or you can just do cfyl.org, and it will get you to the same place. Interesting. Wonderful. Great show. Thank you. Lots of information. Thank you for being here. Kenny, I, think, I hope your friend takes some advice. <laughs> My friend is going to go have a celebratory drink of something, something green. Maybe it'll be green beer. All right. Well, Meg Harrison, Susan Bratton, Francesca Geisman, thank you for joining us tonight on the show. Thank you. Thank you. Guys. So before we wrap... I want to make a special uh, uh, announcement of love and good karma to our dear friend Annie Goodman, who could not join us tonight because she is going through uh, some medical challenges again. She was uh, open. Uh, she confirmed that I was able to mention that she's going through another oncology issue, and she's waiting on some data to come back to confirm whether she has ovarian cancer or not. And uh, we wish her all the best. We love her to death. We miss her so much. And uh, here's a big shout out to Annie Goodman. So Annie gets the the big applause. We, we miss her. Annie Goodman. All righty. Well, with that said, now it's time for our closing sequence. Prepare to activate. Uh, I hear there's rumors on the uh, internets. You ever seen a grown man naked? And so, to all of you, a fond farewell. Hooray, I'm helping. You are a meathead. Oh, Magoo, you done it again. That was so terrible, I think you gave me cancer. Okay, folks, that's our show. Our 285th broadcast. We hope you had as much fun as we did poking a stick at Stupid Cancer. We'd like to thank our guests, Emily Lingenfelter, Susan Bratton, Meg Harrison and Francesca Geisman. Next week's show, Cancer Prevention. Is this actually possible? Early detection, prevention, risk reduction, buzzwords, or the real deal? Join us as we welcome Carolyn Bo Aldridge, President and Founder, Jan Bresch, EVP and COO, and Jim Wood, Managing Director of External Affairs at the Prevent Cancer Foundation, whose mission is saving lives through cancer prevention and early detection. Advocate Spotlight on Michelle Miskowitz. Subscribe to our show anytime for free on iHeartRadio Talk, iTunes Podcast, and Blog Talk Radio. Check us out anytime at stupidcancer.org and stupidcancershow.org. Remember, folks, if it ain't stupid, it ain't cancer. Live from the chemo deck, on behalf of Annie Goodman, Kenny Kane, Maureen Sweet, myself, and our whole team here at the Stupid Cancer Show, have a great week, and thanks for listening. We'll see you next Monday. Bye, everybody.